You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, playing underground music since 1969. Follow us on Twitter at KUCI FM or like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash KUCI 88.9. This way, you could be the first to know when we will be giving away tickets to your favorite concerts, festivals, and events. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCI.org. Good morning, Irvine, and welcome to a great episode of Sports Matters here Tuesday, January 26, 2021. I am your host, Kevin Drake, and your other host, Mr. Matt Bird Sports. How are you doing this morning? Can't complain, Kevin. How are you? Doing pretty good. We're finally getting a little bit of rain here. Yes, we know what today is. A year ago, a horrible tragedy had happened, and we're going to have an interview with my great friend, Warren Witt. We're going to talk a little bit about everything, and I think we talk about motocross and all, so that interview will play here in a bit. Also, we're mourning another Major League Baseball legend and Henry Aaron, who passed over the weekend. Hank Aaron, to me, is the true home run king. He's the one that proved that having great bat speed can yield a lot of home runs. He is the best cleanup hitter of all time because he's still the all-time RBI leader. And he has 3,771 hits. You believe that? <laughs> yeah, he's a part of the Mr. 3,000, right? Yeah, I mean, just a couple hundred hits shy of uh, 4,000, but he had a marvelous career. And then you think about it, 20% of his hits were all home runs. 754 mm-hmm. home runs he hit. And that historic day in 1974 when he finally broke Babe Ruth's home run record, that was a, such a historic day. Because in those times, he definitely faced a lot of racial injustice. And he's another gentleman that really fought hard for civil rights. Got a lot of things accomplished. I think he was a probably, well, I, I'll go out on a limb and say he, he is probably the best hitter of all time. And he also won several gold gloves. Well, being a San Francisco Giants fan, I'm a little bit biased. I think Barry Bonds is the true home run champion. Hank Aaron, for him to have that many home runs in an era where there weren't a little extra juice and there weren't a little bit extra that players could do, him to have hit that many home runs, it's a true accomplishment. It shows you the longevity. I believe he was one of the last players to come from the Negro League. And that's such a big thing if you think about it, how much he's championed racial equality and what he's done for the game of baseball in general. It's, it's such a better place since he came and played in it. You know, my heart goes out to them. I know the Milwaukee Brewers who had Hank Aaron on the tail end of his career are going to wear the number 44 on their sleeves as they should. The man did it in such a way that was like very quiet, very calm, very collected. He got so much hate mail and he would read all of it. And that fueled him to be still a man that was respectable. He did things the right way. And so when you look at the the great role models in the game of baseball, Hank Aaron, in my opinion, is the number one role model. Yes, he is. And he definitely was an inspiration even to the Reds' big red machine. I remember seeing a photo that just surfaced up here on the Cincinnati Reds group. It's a picture of Pete Rose, Johnny Bench, and Hank Aaron. Look at that. 
three legends, the all-time mm-hmm. hit leader, the all-time RBI leader, and Johnny Bench, arguably the greatest catcher of all time, all standing right there. What an awesome accomplishments from all those men. You know, hopefully uh, Pete gets into the Hall of Fame, but you know, that's another discussion another time. We're saving that. This is Hank's day. It is. Pete was really good friends with Hank Aaron. I mean, those guys respected each other during their playing days. Hey, we got some UC Irvine basketball to talk about because finally a game got off over the weekend against Cal Poly. That Friday night game, especially, I was listening to, and I tell you, Trent Rush calls a great game. It was right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. They also were airing it on ESPN3 as well. I just wanted to touch on Trent Rush for a second. We're lucky to have someone that is, he's really good at calling games, and he's going to go on to a bigger role from KLAC and calling UCI games. So get a chance to listen to him before he goes up to the big time because he is definitely someone that is on people's radars in terms of play calling and absolutely i mean he's already got the rush hour show every day on espn so he's pretty much locked in with espn hey the uc irvine anteaters now have won their fifth straight 68 49 taking care of cal poly on friday the friday game's the one i listened to i missed saturday's game but jc butler's really picking it up jerron artest is picking it up these guys are really balling out but jc butler really had a great game on friday that's why i want to point him out hit a couple three pointers but he was making some great defensive plays getting some key steals that started some runs. And before you know it, where UC Irvine got off to a slow start, by the time it was halftime, they're up by 16, and then they just took care of business the rest of the way. Yeah, Cal Poly isn't the best team in the division. There is some merit in holding a Division One basketball team to only 49 points, which they did that in their previous game yesterday on Friday. So I think that There is a lot of positives going forward for this UCI team. They represent the conference well. I'm still waiting for them to see if they are able to play some teams that are going to look a little bit better on their schedule. I think that they've played kind of some of the bottom half. They didn't get to play CSUN. They're not going to play these teams. And it's like, I really was looking forward to watching some of those. But obviously there's extenuating circumstances, so you can't be too mad about it. But I think that this is the year where it's just going to be exactly like that. I don't know who, if they're going to play, you know, next week, who knows what's going to happen. But uh, if they do, there should be some pretty good games coming up. Cal State Northridge was canceled. UC Davis was canceled. So the next up will be Hawaii. And they're going to Hawaii. So that'd be nice. Give them a little break. Go to Hawaii. Yeah, UC Irvine basketball is doing good, and we'll definitely touch on basketball next week. We just got to get to NFL. Now, the games have already played, but Matt and I haven't seen them yet, so we're going to make our picks. All right. (laughs) I'm just going to just cut it short, keep it short and sweet. I'm going to go Bills versus Packers. Interesting. Give me the Tom Brady-led Buccaneers. And the Chiefs, the Super Bowl that everyone wants to see. Give me that. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great Super Bowl no matter what. Either I mean, way, you're going to yeah. you're getting you're get- Aaron Rodgers, yeah. Tom Brady. In it. How can you complain about Patrick that? Mahomes and then the rising star Josh Allen? Those are the best four quarterbacks that are left. The best four teams. Those are the best four quarterbacks in the league statistically this season. So. Yes. We're going to get some good football. We are. And you called it all along. You you said the Bucks would be in the NFC Championship game. So, congrats. 
Well, it's pretty easy. Why would you bet against the GOAT? It's like when people bet against Michael Jordan in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no skill involved in saying, oh, Alabama is the best team. Oh, Tom Brady is the best team. You know, there's not much skill in making those picks. It's just a little bit more than skill, Matt, because you picked a Super Bowl matchup. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. It will be Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes the second time. First time Tom Brady beat him the AFC Championship game two years ago in Kansas City. Now Patrick Mahomes can return the favor and beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay because Tampa Bay Buccaneers became the first NFL team to ever make it to the Super Bowl where the Super Bowl is being played, and that's in Tampa Bay. I think we got something really great in store. I know that it was a very tragic day a year ago, but we wanted to replay something that was really special to us and a really great interview. Kevin's going to talk a little bit more about it, but we wanted to replay it because it was it was such a great interview. and We can't forget about the life of Kobe Bryant. Yes, and actually, we're just going to cut right to it. So enjoy, ladies and gentlemen. We have a wonderful guest in studio, one of my longtime friends I used to work with way back in the day, who's now a commercial pilot, captain for uh, United Airlines, and Warren Witt. Thank you so much for making time for us with your busy schedule. Welcome to Sports Matters. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Matt, nice to uh, be here with you as well. Yeah. And uh, just looking forward to uh, having some good talks this morning. Oh, absolutely. We're definitely going to have some good dialogue. But first, we want, you know, our listeners to know a little bit about you. That's the nice thing about this show. We are a talk show. Yes, we talk a lot of sports, but we like to get to know our guests. You've been a pilot now. I know we're just talking about it off air for 20-some years now, yeah? I mean, I mean, even longer when you think about it, when you went to school and all. But flying commercially, how long has it been? Uh, not to do uh, not give UCI a plug, but when I graduated college up at uh, Cal State Chico, uh, that's where I started my senior year, started flying. That was 1996. Yes. And I literally graduated from college, threw the hat in the air, and uh, took a check ride with the FAA and then came down here and finished uh, all my training here at Orange County Airport. So, I know. That was quite a process, too, because you get your VFR rating, then your IFR rating, then it's the twin engines. I mean, you, you, you went through so much. Yeah, I it was mean, a big change. It wasn't actually what i was expecting to do when i started college and just <laughs> ran into some people that were doing it and uh you once you do it it's as you know once you get in yeah. the plane and, and get behind the controls it's it's hard to to not continue it is addicting matt it's the most peaceful thing being up in air especially when you're in a small plane like that it's wow you you see all the traffic down below just how quiet it is it's like you're in a volkswagen beetle but wow man we're defying the laws of gravity right now <laughs> <laughs> the best part yeah. too you, once you uh, find out you can actually make money doing it uh then it makes it even yes uh, you know a better decision and plus, you know, you had some great training. I know back in the day, Tetsu Yohara, you know, you know, one of your really good friends, you know, one of my friends as well, you know, that really was like your inspiration. You yeah, know. he's a great guy, great instructor. Um, people like that, it's uh, it's funny how you can think you're going to do something in your career and you go to college and, and for all the students here, you, you think you're set in what you're going to do and then something changes and now you're on a completely different path. And uh, I can remember my dad telling me a story when he was at Notre Dame of uh, walking. He literally showed a crack in the concrete uh, in Notre Dame and said, yo, he looked down. He said, I want to be a dentist. And he, <laughs> I think he was studying, uh, you know, something. I can't remember what actually he was studying for, but that's when he changed his uh, all his classes and became a very successful dentist here in Orange County. 
I think it's passion. I think it's when you, when you develop, when you have a passion for something, that's what gets you through the trials and tribulations. That's that's what gets you to dig deep. And when you're passionate about something, you're going to do it at all costs. You're going to do whatever it takes to be successful at it because you're passionate about it. So I read this book uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. It was called uh, The Outliers. And I was wondering how snarky are the control tower in New York? Because they talked about that, that they're not very nice. Well, it's, uh, it, it's, that's so true. It's funny. I was just, just there, just, uh, <laughs> just yesterday. And I was actually uh, flying with somebody who was pretty new to our company. Uh, he was an Air Force pilot. So his experience flying was completely different than that we do as a commercial pilots. And uh, so we're in New York and it's busy. And I said, and he was kind of slow on the radio's responses. And, and we were talking a little bit before. I said, yeah, if you uh, aren't, quick with your response when they give you directions and, and do what they tell you to do immediately. They get on the radio and start, you know, everyone listen up. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Pay attention. And then they, they kind of recycle and everybody kind of snaps to attention. So very true. It's just a busy airspace. And they're New Yorkers anyway. They just, they don't have time for uh, people coming from other parts of the country to, to slow down their operation. But yeah, it's that's what I love about New York. It's just they're super efficient. They're really good at what they do, and they move a lot of uh, traffic. So what would you say is the most difficult part about uh, learning how to fly and additionally with your new job? Or really, I guess it's not new, it's seven years, so yeah. Um, I guess the most difficult part, because um, it changes over time, um, from you know just starting out and, and getting in the airplane and actually just feeling comfortable and realizing that what you're doing is totally safe. Uh, it's not this scary, super dangerous thing that everybody talks about. Um, but getting comfortable in the airplane, uh, turbulence is always, even even for pilots at first, can be a little bit unnerving because you're bouncing around and, and the airplane's doing things, uh, you know, turning or climbing and, and you don't want it to. Um, so getting comfortable and just telling yourself that you've got this, that you're in control of this airplane, pretty much no matter what it does, um, and then once you feel comfortable in there, it's the learning of, of really what I shouldn't do. Um, that's where it becomes a challenge because, you know, people say, Hey, I want to do this or do that. And you know, that's eh, not really safe. We don't want to do that. I don't want to fly 50 feet above the water over to Catalina and things like that. So, um, just learning how to be safe and, 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 and then when you get to the airlines, they just feed you so much information. They, they, the training's very intense and it's not I won't say quick, but you, know, you always wish you had more time. So you're just studying, 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 and then you get into the simulator, and it's a it's a check ride. Literally, every day you go in there, and it's not hey, take off and fly around. It's take off. Oh, we're going down the run of the engine exploded. It, we're on fire. Uh, you know, now we're you know stopping the aircraft on the runway, or you know maybe doing an evacuation. It's all simulated, but mm -hmm. it takes a lot out of you. Um, and mental, mentally. So it's a very, uh, can be a very mentally draining job uh, at times and you know, yeah, things like that. Uh, so how many flights do you generate? Makes you stronger, yeah. Yeah, definitely, yeah. for sure. But how many flights do you generally log a year? So when I started out, uh, I did a regional airline at a company called SkyWest for 13 years mm -hmm. prior to coming to United. And uh, we flew these little turboprops that were... Uh, We'd fly from Orange County to L.A., and I might do that six, eight times in a day. Literally, my schedule might be, you know, Orange, L.A. to Orange County and back and forth and back. 
Um, so little hops, and we could do six to eight flights a day, be you know six six to eight hours of flight time, and on duty, uh, you know, literally working for at that time up to sixteen hours. And then they'd give us a, a short eight hours of rest, and then we go do it again, and we do that, you know, sometimes four four days of the week. Um, wow! And coming to United's a little bit more. The, for the plane I fly, I fly the 737, um, which is uh, our kind of short-haul aircraft. Um, we, we can hold about between about 130 to 180 people. And uh, I'll fly one, sometimes you know cross-country out to the New York area or somewhere on the East Coast, and then we'll fly one to two legs a day, sometimes four, depending on it. Um, they can be longer. Uh, like last night was about a six-hour flight to get back here to Los Angeles, but... Uh, Typically, you'll fly, you know, once a week, um, and you could do, you know, three days a week, and then you get time off. So you usually 18 days off for a lot of pilots, literally not working. And then if you're on the, the what we call the wide body or the long haul flights, the bigger aircraft that are going, you know, truly international uh, places like Australia or, or Asia out here from the West Coast, they'll be, they'll work maybe a three day trip and do that three times a month so yeah. so with all this yeah. travel i mean how do you <laughs> kind of stay in shape right because i can imagine that being pretty demanding on your body you're sitting and you're going long hours and all forty thousand feet in the air yeah, forty thousand, know? a lot yeah. of focus how do you kind of keep yourself um well in shape both mentally and physically um the best thing is just to do, you know, exercise like normal. Um, what's nice about the places that we go, for me, all the hotels are pretty nice. So they all have the hotel gym. And so you, you've got, you know, anyone who's been to a hotel gym knows what's in there. So you have your exercise equipment, some weights and things like that. Um, so I'm on the road. I pretty much work out every every day. Um, just wake up, hit that hotel gym. If I'm in a, a city like New York, uh, you know, downtown Manhattan, Central Park, get out there, get the running shoes, and just spend hours out there sometimes just running. Uh, so I like to run, uh, mountain bike, road bike, um, surf. If we have a, we, we fly to Hawaii, so if I get a Hawaii layover, nice. no, yeah. nothing's better than, than uh, paddling out and, and catching some good waves uh, at whatever island we're on and, and getting exercise that way while you're at work. Um, and so... Really, just staying active, uh, and then at home on my days off, uh, when I'm at home, you know, 24 hour fitness, give them a plug. Uh, it's a great, you know, lifting weights, and just you got to stay with it because, like you said, sitting all day, um, you do a lot of sitting, and so, you know, food wise, we've all seen the airport food. It's not, <laughs> it's not like you can just bring whatever you want. <laughs> right, you're, you're kind of stuck. So, I think it's gotten here. better over the years. But you're right. It's still airport food. <laughs> it's still there, and um, yeah, and uh, so yeah, you just manage it that way. It's it's you. Know, it's easy to get out of shape. Uh, really easy as a pilot to get out of shape. So, um, especially for those that do fly the long flights. Say to, I know you were just down in uh, Australia. Australia. Yeah, you know that's a fifteen, sixteen hour flight, yeah. and you're just sitting there, and um, you know what do you do? So. Yeah, that's a long ride. It's like you said. So they do the th three days spurt, but then they get some time off. But that's up to them and their time off to 
okay, let's maintain. A lot of times you probably want to catch up, get rest. and That's the thing is, yeah. you're, you know, who knows what day it is when you get down there, um, what time of the day on your clock. So that's one thing I do that's really key is I try to stay on West Coast time no matter where I'm at. So I might sleep in on the East Coast till noon, you know, being 9 o'clock here. Um, somewhere like that, um, we do a lot of all-night flights, so that can do it. But rest is number one. And then exercise number two. I could see you being messed up on time. Yeah. You think about that. That's actually, I didn't even think about that. It's like, that's probably the smartest thing is to stay on your home time zone. Yeah. Because you're, you're going back and forth, back and forth. You're eventually going to be back home. Yeah. (laughs) I know they talk about that with uh, a lot of the sports teams that, you know, travel to what England now or Mexico city Mm -hmm. for, you know, NFL football and, and baseball teams. Um, You know, they're same deal. They're, they're, they don't like to travel too much while they're playing games and fatigue. And I know that's in their schedule. Uh, as well so yeah it's challenging it's definitely challenging on the players i know that yeah of course they'll throw in the bye week afterwards but getting there that still throws you off are you really getting the full effort from these teams crazier things have happened but yes i, I know the travel definitely affects them as and it's um yeah you watch sports and they do interviews with i remember apollo ono when he was in the olympics the speed skater talked about his training and they said uh, they asked him about if you could work out or sleep what's the most important thing and he said sleep by far you know if if my schedule just can't do everything for whatever reason um, I'd rather just get that sleep and then you know do the training later because I notice physically uh, yeah if I I don't have rest it's 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 challenging and then being on the road is even worse because um, you don't always, you know, with the job, you yeah. have to kind of be alert. So, <laughs> Well, that's extremely important when you talk about rest. You need to have that proper amount of rest, whatever it is, if it's a minute, six hours, seven hours. But think about these international flights when these pilots are doing 16 hours straight. Do you break it up in shifts where you have a chance to relax? So it's been good. Um, I think it was 2009. Uh, the FAA changed all the rules for us and, and made uh, gave us require, much more required rest. Um, and so... When that went into effect, uh, they, they changed everything, which was kind of nice. So now, you know, you get 10 hours of minimum rest from eight, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it it's a lot. And then doing the long-haul flights, yeah, we'll have, uh, say, your trip to uh, Australia, you had four pilots. Okay. And so based on the length of the flight, between eight, 12, 16 hours, they have from two, three to four pilots. And then they're, they actually have uh, break cycles to where the whoever took off, they might um, stay in the cockpit for a while, and then the relief pilots will go back into bunks. And the new air- aircraft are great because they actually have pretty comfortable sleeping areas uh, that are dark and quiet, away from th- the passengers and the flight attendants that are always making noise doing their services. They rest, and then they'll rest, say, four hours, and then they'll change out with the other pilots, the, 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 the true pilots, as we would say, not the relief, but the, the ones that are actually going to fly and land and take off the plane, and uh, uh, then they'll go back and rest as well. And so they have detailed schedules when they need to be rested prior to to landing. So when they do come in on on the landing, that they're rested. They're the most rested of the four would be the two pilots flying. So I mean, that would definitely make sense. <laughs> it's safe too. What's crazy yeah. though is they yeah. never they never did that for yeah. for many years. They would give give uh, pilots a, a seat in first class with everybody else to try. Oh, wow. and, you know, recline and 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 you just not dark. It's hard to sleep. Uh, you know, yeah. before noise canceling, I mean, maybe they're back there smoking. It's just, it's a lot better now uh, than, yeah. than it was. I know you and I, we touched on that yesterday when we were catching up, but uh, the technology from when you first started flying to what it is today, are there benefits to it, I guess, and maybe not so 
benefit? So the technology-wise, um, absolutely benefits. Uh, when I first started out, the uh, the airplanes were pretty, you know, just what we called, you know, the round dials. Um, and now everything's moved to displays, LCD displays, uh, where, where much more information is put right in front of you, uh, so it's easy to see. Um, and we have, you know, our technology, there's a lot that's out there and then uh, corporate jets have certain uh yeah, better things than we right. have because they they just have the money and you know for uh for them but we're looking at uh, a huge improvement on our technology especially when it comes to um not just in the airplane really some of the better technology is with air traffic control uh radars oh the towers on the ground yeah, yeah. we've had basically nowadays uh you go to lax if you don't have certain equipment turned on before you even start to push back from the gate. They call you up because they can't see so well from way up in the tower. The, the towers are really almost virtual towers. They're just filled with screens and maps. And so they see everybody moving on the ground and they get um, warnings. Kind of, you know, like a Tesla, you're driving down the road and the car in front of you is slowing down. Um, the car tells you before you catch it. And that's our technology now. The airplane's okay. telling us things before we would ever see it. Um, and so other traffic in the air, it's going to warn us if we're getting too close. And then if it becomes a threat, it'll actually, the airplane will tell us to, to climb or descend away yeah. from it. Um, for one, for example, but, yeah. um, yeah, the technology is, is always changing and it's really based on, you know, events that have happened in the past that, you know, the NTSB comes in and investigates and then they make recommendations and, then the uh, then we move towards that. But sometimes the technology can be too good, and we're seeing that with the, the I don't want to say too good, but maybe too much technology, and we're seeing that with the 737 MAX that, that you know, has been grounded since, I don't know, last May. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Putting new systems in an airplane um, that they felt they needed and then not effectively training everybody on, on that you know, pose a problem, obviously. And just case if it malfunctions, how do you shut it off? That's so you could just thing. take control of the plane. That was really good what you were just saying. But uh, do you think some pilots rely too much on technology and not so much flying the plane? Not to, to knock our, our newer generation, I won't yeah. name names. Um, they love, you know, our newer, younger pilots. Um, they love technology, grew up with technology, can't live without it. Um, and some of our older pilots, you know, they're fearful of technology and like to do things <laughs> yeah. that the way they've always done. So the best are you know, the people that can do a little of both. Yeah. Uh, because when the technology, if it fails, you need to go back to just your basic skills of, of, of how to fly and be comfortable doing that. You know, obviously everyone, we have the autopilot. Everyone thinks autopilot flies the plane the whole time, but it really doesn't. Um, we'll fly it. We'll use the autopilot in cruise flight, uh, you know, hours of just trying to hold altitude is, is pretty mundane. And then coming in on the uh, arrivals and, and approaching the landing, you want to turn the autopilot off. You want to fly the plane. So, um, But if you need it, you know, low visibility or something like that, we'll leave it on. And, and the airplanes can land themselves um, without Crazy. without us doing anything. And they're very capable and, and very accurate at it, surprisingly. They're, they're amazing, uh, especially the newer uh, stuff that's coming out yeah. is 
It is almost too much technology sometimes, but <laughs> it could be overwhelming. You think about you, well, all the training that you've done when you started, and to what it is today. It's like I guess our generation we're probably most challenged because we know how it was before. All this new technology, they get all this technology. You're able to, to balance it out and decipher. And when the younger generation's coming up, they're just exposed to all this new technology. So this is what they know. Absolutely, and you know they're teaching me little things uh, here and there. and, and uh, Me too. Know, <laughs> the, the funny thing is one of the biggest uh, and probably best additions to our safety was we got, you know, we use uh, an iPad device and we have, now we have, you know, internet really around the world, satellite internet. So we can use the iPad with different apps that we have that, you know, wow. weather related, yeah. uh, all our checklists, things like that are, are digitally on there. Uh, so we don't have all these books and, you know, Jam it, you know. I remember that big flight book you used to have and have to plan out your flights. And, and so now, yeah. if, you know, we, we take off. I know what, it, what you know, weather's doing on the East Coast, snowstorms, this and that. Not to the before where you just kind of flew into stuff and went, oh, now we have so much more information. Uh, and I think that's where some people get overloaded with the amounts of information that are out there. Um, but, you know, turbulence, we have accurate um, reports of that on our iPads it is updating regularly. So when we're flying along, we can kind of, if we, the airplane starts to feel some turbulence, we can look down and go, oh, if we change altitudes, this should be smoother. And then you do, and you find that smoother ride. So that's been really nice. It just makes it so much more relaxing uh, having, you never have too much yeah. information, I guess. Well, you probably can, but it's nice to, to pick and choose what you need. Absolutely. Matt. I have a question. So you went to Chico State. I know a little bit about Chico State. I had a cousin that went there. You know, I know. Give me your best Chico State story if you have one. Oh, without getting myself in trouble, right? Yeah. Well, um, well, we are on air. FCC regular. Maybe when you're uh, your flight school. Uh, you know, um, Chico was, was a true experience. I mean, I, I <laughs> the one thing about college is you can't ever replace your time in college. So no. for all you... You know, here UCI. in college, yep. make the best of it because once you get out of college, then you got to get a job, and it's just not as fun. I mean, it's <laughs> it pre pretty much. You think high school was great? Yeah, go to college, and it's such a, a an experience uh, from so many levels. But you know, without saying, I think the best. I was in a fraternity, Delta Chi fraternity. I always thought if I'm going to college, I want to be in a fraternity. Um, so I, I being a Delta Chi, I could say. A really cool experience, college-related, was um, Ashton Kutcher, the the actor. He's a Delta Chi, and I ran into him in Santa Barbara. And you know, all fraternities have their secret codes and things like that. And so he was with his his kids looking at one of the museums there, and I kind of followed him around a little, not really stalking too much. But I caught him in a in a uh, stairwell, and I said, uh, "Hey, uh, do you have time for a question?" And he said, "Yeah." And then you start throwing out your little secret. Uh, code words and he responded immediately with a huge smile and we went back and forth with this stuff and then we talked for a good 10 minutes about just things and you know asked me about that and so that's awesome going to college you know i wouldn't have had that that and that was that was pretty cool um chico's a beautiful place uh, up there um north of sacramento if you don't know where it's at you know i, I went there and, and a, another person in the, in the fraternity was a pilot and took me up for a flight and said hey you want to fly the plane and i said yeah and uh, we flew around these beautiful Sierras and all these different airports up there. And uh, so if I hadn't have gone there, um, 
you know, I was set at going to other a lot of other schools. So, you know, Arizona, University of Arizona. That's that. where I went. <laughs> Maybe I would have been a pilot. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, but just being up there, it was really that was what was nice. So, of course, you know, Saturday nights, you know, what do you got? Tuesday night, Thursday night. Well, what was your Saturday major? Night. What was your major when you went to college? So it's funny. Yeah, I majored yeah. in uh, uh, journalism. So I have a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism. Wow. Option. <laughs> They make you do an option. I did public relations. I can't remember what all the different options yeah. were. And then I got a business minor. So I took a little bit of everything. Um, and it was great. The, yeah. the writing part, I'm not nearly the writer that I was, but it teaches you a lot of discipline in writing. And so another thing I can, if you, you know, for all you people that are, you know, want to be writer, AP style guide, um, learn to write. I used to write any paper I, I wrote, would usually would get a, an A just because it was easy to read. It, had a lot of good content um and you know if, if your professor can just read it and, and understand it they give you better scores than <laughs> than some of the stuff i saw from from my fellow uh, uh classmates and that would, would call me for advice but uh it's a great great major uh, it really is so, then, so this flight that you took probably opened up a, a passion or opened something up like wow this is really cool i could see myself doing this and somehow you start to develop this passion for flying is that kind of where it was born was that chico state you know it, it's funny as a kid i always you know airplane i think my mom found something that said hey i'm either going to be a pilot or an actor you know i wrote when i was 12 years old somewhere and uh and uh yeah wasn't gonna be the actor i found out later but um yeah, the passion, it's just that sense of freedom, I think, is what people really like, uh, just being able to, to leave the earth, so to speak, um, not to be too corny, but get up there and fly, and, and the things you see, because you're always looking out. I, I feel bad for some people now, because you know we're flying along, and everyone's got their windows closed, and I'm just thinking, if you open the window, there's a beautiful sunset out there. There's so much to see, and I think right. that's what, what uh, pulled me in was was just seeing things that most people aren't seeing. I mean, especially when you're flying like in the small planes, you know, you're 3,000 feet, you get to see a lot. See and a it, lot. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. But it's like uh, like Warren's saying, Matt, it's just uh, the sense of freedom and it's just you're, you're up there and, and you're defying the laws of gravity. And I don't know, some kind of empowering, uh, but it's beautiful. And, it's, and it, it could get addicting. I, I had a friend who, uh, while I was doing my flight training, uh, went with his family, went over to Hawaii and he, and he wanted to look at property. And he said, hey, can you get an airplane? And I said, yeah, probably. You know, so I went over to the airport. Said, what is it, what's going to take for me to to rent an airplane? And they they gave me the list of things to do. And I went out and did a couple uh, landings with their instructor, and th- that was it. And so about an hour later, they all pile on the airplane, and we go fly around Maui and you know start out looking for property. And then we're doing you know volcano. We're basically doing sightseeing tours of, of you know Haleakala volcano, and we're down whale watching and watching you know humpback whales just breach you know left and right that's so cool and things that you know a lot of people pay a lot of money to ride in a helicopter for and he would just say hey go over here let's go there and and so that was that was a great experience and uh one of the reasons that just you keep doing it yeah well now i watched the kobe memorial yesterday actually I, i got to catch up on all that and I thought it was actually really well done. It's very beautiful. You know, I didn't it didn't last long as I thought, but it, they they had a short suite. It was a two hour. It's beautiful. But I want to talk about you know safety when it when it comes to you know being a pilot. 
Do you feel a lot of pressure when you're flying a commercial airline and you're responsible for, you know, two, three hundred lives that uh, that you're transporting across country? Um, is there a lot, a lot of extra pressure to the pilot or is it more you're focused on getting to point A to point B as safely as possible? Uh for, so safety wise, uh, the airlines do the, mo- the the best job of of safety. Uh, then then you know as flight goes, I think really almost in any uh, profession uh, that that has things that are that complex, uh, based on the rules, the you know the aircraft, the maintenance, and the training. Um, so you start out, you know, when you solo, the probably scariest flight you ever do is is when you solo. You have maybe 10 or 15 hours of flight time. Your instructor says, okay, take off, fly around, and come back and land. And nobody's in there but you. And you kind of get in the air and you look over to that seat where the, the, the flight instructor was sitting teaching you for the last you know, couple of weeks. And there's nobody there. So it's a, uh, it's a, that's where you, you realize, okay, he thinks I'm safe or she thinks I'm safe. So I'm going to go out and do it on my own. Um, and so once you get through, and you know it's the training. They trained you what to do, and so you just rely on that training uh, and experience to, to safely get back on the ground. Um, what we do is, is training, training, training. And so, no, I don't get in the airplane and, and think I have this huge res- – I, I, I know I have this huge responsibility, but it doesn't – I don't think about it and dwell on it right? Um, unless – Conditions warrant maybe there's there, there's something that is a little uh, you know the snow or rain or something like that thunderstorms and um, where I would think that would be the case but um, you know sometimes you'll you'll come out of the airplane and look back and see everybody and 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 you know you've got kids and babies and and things like that but they train us so well that um, once you get in you just you know, you feel very comfortable. And if you don't feel comfortable, then you're usually flying with somebody else who is feeling comfortable. And so there's never just, you know, these rookies out there. Sense of calmness. Definitely a yeah. sense of calmness. Um, but no, no, I don't really worry about that too much. Yeah. Um, just because the way we train and the, and the way we operate, we're not pushed to do things that we, that aren't safe. Where right. There's, there's so many laws against it for us that if you break those laws, you know, you're out of a job. And so you, it's sad to think that, yeah, I don't want to lose my job. So, you know, you follow the rules and, and we have, you know, thousands of rules. Yes. But, yes. And, and, and more to come, I'm sure, you more know, to come. but you know, we talk about, I mean, obviously the biggest news, you know, a month ago, that helicopter crash, I know we touched on it, but I just want to kind of get your thoughts on that, you know, exactly how this could have been averted, but also have, have, have listeners understand exactly what went down, you know, why he was bouncer from Van Nuys to Burbank and kind of being that liability in the middle of all this air traffic, you know, first of all, the fog that we have this morning. I mean, that's what he was flying in essentially. Yeah. It's uh, you know, weather is, is the great equalizer. Um, and it's the biggest threat that anyone who operates, you know, helicopters or airplanes has to deal with. Um, so, so weather is, is always the challenge. Um, these days we have so much information on weather, you know, with radar and, and, and other sources that you, you have a good picture of what you're doing before you ever get in the air. Helicopters are unique because they have the ability to fly slow, uh, take off and land from almost anywhere. 
Um, and they also have a little bit uh, better, I won't say better, but they have relaxed rules when it comes to conditions they can fly in because they have that ability. Um, and so, you know, that day was obviously a sad day all around. Yeah. And then after realizing who was on board, you look back and think, you know, as a, as a, I've been in helicopters, I'm not a helicopter qualified pilot, but I know how, how they operate. And I've flown a lot of people that have flown them that, uh, that they're very complex. Um, but they're a great way for celebrities to get around. Uh, obviously the president's got a fleet of helicopters yes. uh, for convenience and a lot of other celebrities use them and, um, operated safely. There's, they're great. I mean, they really are a time saver for, for a lot of people. So, um, that day was just unique that there was overcast skies. Um, and when I would fly with overcast, like Kevin, you and I went up yeah. in airplanes on that similar route many yeah. times. Yeah. And, uh, we wouldn't fly down low. We'd fly up above the clouds. And, and if we were in the clouds, I was instrument rated. So we would fly on special routes that were used only for, or I won't say only for, but they were used when the weather was, was low to safely get you in the air, clear all the, the, the train below you and then land at whatever. That's true. Airport. Cause I remember that flight to Oxnard. <laughs> that was a, that was a good flight though. I, I mean, can remember us doing yeah, Burbank yeah, and, you know, yeah, raining and Burbank and, too. Yeah. And things like that. Yeah. And so, um, but you have to have that, that skill of being able to fly without seeing out the windows. Um, and so with helicopters, they're all basically visual. They, they want to see what's out the windows. They, they have the capability to be instrument. Uh, but that company that, uh, you know, Kobe was with, they, they were only what they call VFR visual flight rules. Mm. Um, and there's a, you know, I go into details on the rules, but b- bottom line is you got to be able to see where you're going and you have to stay out of the clouds. That's the minimum, uh, standard on there. And so when they took off out of orange County, if you, you know, there's a lot of data about the flight. Um, and so they were pretty low below the clouds, got up to, uh, Burbank's airspace and they were busy doing landing commercial jets and the pilot wanted to transition the airspace because you know, visually, if you, if you fly, you have to go through the five. It's great to fall freeways because they kind of follow, you know, valleys and, and, and areas of, of lower terrain. And so and they're easy to follow. So he was following the five freeway, which takes you up to Burbank's airspace. And he did the holding for about 15 minutes before he was cleared to transition the airspace. Uh, and then once he got through, he needed to go through Van Nuys's airspace. To, to continue where they were going. And he uh, was told once he got through Burbank that they couldn't take him through Van Nuys because the visibility was low and the clouds and everything. And they were doing it. They had a lot of traffic. So he followed another freeway, which took him down to the 101. And I think from there, my guess is, and again, it's speculating. I don't want to, to, to point any fingers on anybody, but my guess is if he was flying Kobe to, to the sports facility, He's done it many times, and he was familiar with flying down the 101 in that helicopter. So visually, he saw where he was going. And uh, what they're saying is, uh, and it's it's pretty, it's, it's pretty much fact. NTSB and everybody's confirming that he just flew into some fog. So those valleys, if people live up there, they know that Mulholland, not Mulholland, but uh, Calabasas, Calabasas, yeah, yeah how, the how fog, thick the, yeah, it gets pretty thick. It comes like, through, yeah. And there were reports of drivers at, at that heard and were in the vicinity of the, of the crash that said that the visibility was low for them even driving. So 
once you go into that, you, you lose sight of everything, the ground and, and everything around you. And so you're solely relying on instruments. And at that point, um, you know, terrain is the, is the issue. What's now, what, what is out there that I could potentially run into? So we train all the time for flight into terrain and we basically just hit full throttle and pull back very aggressively and start a, a very aggressive climb. We have, we have uh, terrain and warning systems and, and a lot of displays on our screens that show us where everything is. But still, even with all that, we go to the basics that we made a mistake and we're flying into a mountain and how do we get out of it? So, yeah, they, he just lost visibility. It looked like he was trying to climb. His last was to climb right. above the clouds. And, uh, and from people that I know that fl- fly helicopters, they can be a little unstable if, if banked or turned too aggressively. And there's a real good chance there was some spatial disorientation, as they would call it, um, where if you don't understand what the instruments are telling you to keep straight and level flight, your body will tell you you're straight and level when you're actually in a turn or you could be climbing or descending. You would not know. I could put you in the back of the plane. I could probably roll it upside down and you would not even know we were upside down unless you opened your eyes and looked at the instruments and it would tell you that. So you can't rely on your the senses that a normal helicopter pilot would rely on for flight. So sadly, something happened during that uh, maneuver to try and get away from the the terrain and get into the, you know, get above the Could clouds. very well, he may have regained visibility, realized, oh, I'm coming up on the hillside and banked it left it's to possible. try to avoid it. I mean, that's possible. I mean, the NTSB is still investigating that. If, or it could have been a mechanical failure. That's They're pretty sure that was not yeah, the fact. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just from what they, they've uncovered so far, yeah, they, they've proven that it's not the fact, but... And yeah, so, th- yeah, there was a lot of false information yeah. with the early reports. So, of course. Yeah. And that's the hardest part for us as professional uh, you know, pilots is is when something happens, the people at CNN or, or whatever. Oh, they just outlet, blow it up. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's so f- false. You know, he was cleared to fly through heavy fog. No, that's, you know, I remember those reports and it's, that's not the case. But, um, yeah, they're pretty, the NTSB, I'm sure, is pretty confident on what happened already. They'll get a full report. They take a lot of time to do that because not only do they want to tell, you know, the world what happened, but if there's any safety recommendations that they want to make, they'll make them from that. And I guarantee you they'll, there will be more safety recommendations than they already had for that helicopter being made and, and maybe some changes to some rules. Who knows? Um, sadly, our, our business is based on many, many, many accidents and loss of life. And, uh, and that's when the changes really happen, unfortunately. Um, so just more regulations and just makes it more challenging for the pilot to, you know, adhere to those. And training, um, you know, I, I won't say that pilots that fly, not just celebrities, but people that own their own aircraft. I mean, if I own the, the helicopter, I, I might not be able to fly it, but I own it and I want you to do what I am telling you to do. Mm, so yes. if, if I need to be somewhere at nine o'clock and it's eight fifty five and we're still 15 minutes out and the weather's posing a problem. You might have feel some uh, pressure to um, to get there, and so when we talked about you know feeling uh, pressure for passenger safety, that's the beautiful thing about any of the commercial airlines is, is we don't have that pressure. Uh, we just say we're not going. I've, I've declined many takeoffs, uh, 
you know, diverted from many landings where it just wasn't safe and nobody asks any questions later and, and I don't get in trouble. If anything, people are very grateful um, that and, and they understand that that's just the way it is. And uh, safety is number one. Well, thank you for clearing that up because that, that that's probably the best explanation you know that we can come up with until they finally finish their investigation. But uh, you know, it was just a sad day. But you know, yesterday was really nice. It was nice to get that closure. You know, Shaq was up there. I love Shaq. He was cracking some funnies, and you know what I mean. Kind of make a light of the situation. But uh, you know, overall, you know, it's a nice close to that. But uh, you got anything over here, Mister Matt Burp Sports? Well, I would like to ask you a few sports-related questions. Right. I know you are big into Supercross. Yes. Uh, if you want to explain, one, for our audience, what is Supercross, and B, who your favorite Supercross athlete is. Okay, so if you're not familiar, especially being here in, in Orange County, this is, I would say, the Supercross mecca. I mean, Anaheim has the first supercross race of the year they actually they used to have three now they have uh, two races at anaheim stadium um and all the manufacturers are are here we have kawasaki is right here honda is here suzuki ktm um and what i think yamaha I don't want to leave mm-hmm. them out so yeah all the manufacturers are, are here and a lot of great riders come from this area so um and uh, tracks everywhere but supercross basically taking you know the the dirt bikes either a 250 four stroke or a 450 four stroke racing it on a track built in a stadium uh such as anaheim or uh they'll do you know phoenix indoors outdoors uh stadiums and they're very technical so lots of jumps um not so much speed because it's hard to get up to speed but a lot of jumps and, and what they would call you know rhythm sections where when you, you know, go off a jump, you got to land just right to make the next jump. And if you if you make a mistake, then you've just you know you lost your speed, lost your rhythm, and whoever's behind you is going to pass you. And it's become extremely competitive, um, and it's fun to watch because they they they've done such a great job now with um, you know different. I think it's on NBC now. Um, you now Fox was doing it. Now NBC's got the yep. contract, and and they show it live Saturday night. Um, so you can watch it live and um, get a feel for it. The best is to go to the race, obviously. Uh, it, it is one sport that it's fun to watch on TV, but it's better to be there because unlike you get the a feel football, it, you get to hear yeah, it, you get to feel it. You hear it, it you yeah. smell it, yeah. you see the, you know, the, the, they have a lot of pyrotechnics and fun stuff yeah. like that. But, but really what's cool compared to other sporting events is that the action might not be with whoever the leaders are. The action could be, you know, battle for 10th place or, or here. So there's the whole, uh, track has some sort of action going on. And, uh, so it's a, it's just a great way to, to watch a sport. Um, and then doing it is, it looks easy. Those athletes are probably some of the most fit athletes in the world. I would, I would put them up against almost anybody. And if you were to do a, ask a, a football player to go run a, a triathlon the, the the top motocross guys would probably do it and do it really well and your top football player might not do it as well uh obviously they're strong everyone's got their their strengths for their right. sport but but uh, supercross and outdoor motocross is is you know that they're just fit very low body fat. they have to be because they have yeah. to control that bike well and, i was gonna say yeah. like lightweight then that goes faster right 
it's uh they're they try to make them as light as they can um and what they can do with the bikes is an, incredible you you know you see some of the the performers doing double backflips. I know it's insane yeah. what they're doing these days. I watch the X Games and I see people doing double backflips, and I'm like that has to be really difficult to do. Like that can't be just like an easy thing. You're basically on a dirt bike, you know, going in the air. I mean, it, it's crazy to see all that stuff. It's extremely. You have to have an extremely strong core for oh, that. I know. Yeah. I know. And so they, they'll say, um, you know, they're re- where they rest is when they go off a big jump. You know, the bigger the jump, a big triple jump where they're flying 90 feet through the air, that's when they're resting, when the bike's in the air. Because they, you know, pull a tear off. You know, if they had bottles, you know, like a, a drink bottle, they could probably pull the bottle out, take a sip, and, you know, keep going. But that's... <laughs> Doing two backflips. Ah, oh, grab a thing a of sip. water, you know. <laughs> but that's where they say they rest. And when they hook them yeah. up to their heart rate, uh, they're running 180, 190 beats a minute. Wow. For, wow! They basically run for twenty minutes in the in the main events. It's uh, twenty minutes plus a lap. And, Just imagine uh, the adrenaline too. That's a long time yeah. being at that yeah that level. Wow, that's crazy. So, who's the number one in the sport right now? All right, so there's if if there's Supercross fans here, I mean, everyone's got their favorite. Um, and what is really cool right right now is that um, it's extremely competitive. So you've got Eli Tomac with Kawasaki. Um, and he, I've actually heard that name, Eli Tomac. Yeah. Ken Roxon, uh. who's riding for Honda. Okay. Um, and then I guess Cooper Webb, KTM, is uh, is one of the other riders okay. that's, that's just extremely fast. That's up in the front. And uh, uh, a new guy, um, Adam Cianciarillo, rookie this year, amazing talent. Um, but he's learning. He's got a lot to learn. He'll he'll he gets great starts. He gets the lead. Uh, he runs out front for a long time, and then as the fatigue sets in, he might make a mistake uh, and misjudge something that allows someone like you know his teammate Eli Tomac, who's a pretty pretty big great veteran, um, to to pass him and, and get the win. They're just they have that ability to to pace themselves and and know their limits. And some days are ex- you know fast, and some days are they're just not feeling it, but. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of great great talent out there. Uh, you know. And like you say, it's best to be there to actually catch the event. But I didn't realize Anaheim was the mecca. I didn't realize we're the. I mean, I mean, let alone L.A. Orange County. We're a mecca for a lot of things. But I did not know for Supercross. So I'm learning something new on Sports Matters. How about that? Yeah, the, all, most of the practice tracks yeah. are just over in Riverside. So yeah. right off the uh, the 15 freeway, yeah. they have all their Supercross. I know training. Fontana's big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, for the for the car races. I don't know if they do Supercross out there. If they set use they that track, no. no. It'd be no, nice. No. It'd be a that'd be a big track. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that's just uh, true. <laughs> but they do NASCAR out there, and I yes. know you are a NASCAR fan. And I boy, well, that was a heck of a finish last yes, yesterday because it was a rain was. delay that actually finished yesterday. So for your racing fans, you actually got two days of racing. So uh, for the Daytona, yeah, yeah. Daytona yeah, five hundred. That was last yeah. weekend. Yeah, actually. yeah. yeah. Last, um, last Monday. That's what I meant. Last. That's Monday. all good. But it was yeah. a big. Event. President, it was President's Day. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a. It, it was it was unique this year's the Daytona five hundred. If you watched. The president of the United States flew out, um, so, and he was on the track. I don't think I've ever seen—I uh, could be wrong—a uh, president actually standing on you know pit lane and 
giving the command to start your engines. And then what was even cooler is he got in the presidential vehicle, the Beast, you know, his personal <laughs> transportation. Yes. And they went and did a lap around the track with all the cars following him. I would have been I would have been happier if he was on the high banks. It's 33 degrees of banking at Daytona. And I'm sure that 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 car, they yeah. said it weighs 22,000 pounds, the, his personal vehicle. So they weren't sure what it would do if it would slide off the track or, or roll down the track in that steep of a bank. But um, that would have been fun if he could have got up there and done some fast laps in that, that car. That would have been a, another sight to see. But it just shows you that, you know, NASCAR, is it really is an American sport. I could be... No, you're right. My father is from the South, and I tell you, all Southerners love their racing. I mean, racing's all over. You got the Indy 500, the Daytona 500, down at Mobile. They have the Mobile Speedway, so they have like NASCAR races, maybe Formula One. Oh yeah, they races there, and then they had the drag strip. I always loved the drag strip as a kid. I just loved the top fuelers and the funny cars, and you know, that that's that was just like just so cool to watch. But like you were saying, it's so highly dangerous too. Oh yeah. One of the best gifts I was ever given was for my wife for my birthday. Um, I try to do different stuff for you know birthday gifts, and she got me a, uh, a driving experience at Daytona. So I flew out to Daytona, and I got to go in one of the the NASCAR cars. It wasn't you know the full Cup car that, that went 205 miles an hour, um, but it was one that would have easily probably gone 180, 190 miles an hour. And you get on the track, and you follow a. a, a basically an instructor who's in a similar car and you start out kind of slow and then you pick the pace up and i just remember getting in that car turning it on it's 600 700 horsepower wow everything just to feel that yeah Uh, you know you're in a roll cage you know the cars aren't cars they're just all custom made and you know fiberglass and you know the the windshield's not even glass it's so everything's vibrating around and it feels just really strange for a car not something that you would really want to it's not comfortable but then once you get it up to speed the car just settled into the track it was it was really a cool experience the faster you go the better it handled and uh until you actually drive one you you don't know that yeah and so it was real sloppy at first and and just loud and as it got going you put it in in gear and get on the track and we were doing they they told me i was doing about 155 miles an hour and i felt like i could have gone faster i kept drafting up on the guy in front of me who was my instructor and he'd flash this red light telling me to to back up back up <laughs> you're too close back yeah. up there's a yellow light. don't push me <laughs> and if i at first i was too far back and he yeah. would be flashing this green light to yeah. tell me hey catch up you're too far back yeah. and then once you get that the draft you get the feeling of the car you have to lift out of the corners because you're just drafting the one ahead of you and ah, what an awesome it experience was it was great to to be on the track and then this another thing about it is the sound there's nothing no. like you, you go watch days of thunder uh and the opening sequence yeah, that's what it sounds like just those engines coming down the track it's 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 really cool. not only that they roar but just sit in there and actually feel the power that these cars possess and i tell you we're, we're starting to run out of time but you know coming up next you have ask a leader with claudia Chambal. stay I- tuned for her show as I've said before, and the gold standard. Saying. Wow, we got to close up the show here. But first of all, thank you so much, Warren, for coming on. I mean, what a great show this was. Really learned a lot about. It's crazy how fast yeah. the time yeah. goes. It I does. Know, it does. Yeah. You guys really yeah. fast. It's all about you, but you you brought some valuable information. We got to learn, you know, what it's like to be a commercial pilot. You know, the trials and tribulations of you getting up to that point. I guess for yeah. other listeners too, yeah. you know, with kids or whatnot. Uh, there's definitely, we have a lot of retirements, 
Uh, so, so being a, a, you know, going through and, and, and learning to fly, a lot of universities are now uh, having their own programs and you can get a degree from a lot of different universities. I won't say which ones, but there's a great outlook for anyone who does become a pilot and uh, it's a great career. Um, it, it, you don't feel like you're working. I, I don't even know what a nine to five job feels like. So uh, when I'm on vacation with my family and my brother and sister who are all you know, working for different companies, they're always doing emails yeah. and on the phone and, and just working. And yeah. I'm like, what are we going to do? Come on, let's go do <laughs> yeah. something. You know, it's, it's nice to be able to separate from it's work. a lot of freedom. A lot of freedom so you can cleanse and recharge. So when you get back in, you know, you can, you can handle the pressures and all the challenges that comes with flying. But like you say, you focus on getting from point A to point B as safely as possible because you want to go home and see your family. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, it, it's safe to be up in the air. It's always been safer to be up in the air than it is to be on the ground in those automobiles that we drive every day. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm always nervous driving to work and driving home. Then, then Yeah. I, I mean, most of my car accidents have been you know within a three-mile radius at home. Well, you that's know, what some, they say. The majority yeah. of its car accidents are within the 500 uh, feet of your I home. I know firsthand. I, yeah. <laughs> luckily, I'm still here. <laughs> that's the stats behind it. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning into Sports Matters. Coming up next, we got Claudia Chambal to ask a leader. You know she's got a fine, fine show for you, so stay tuned for that. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, all sports matters. I love you, Grandma.